Today on the podcast, we've got Sam Incuso. Sam's worked his entire career in senior executive roles in marketing in either consumer packaged goods, automotive, and more recently restaurants. Sam's had success by looking at trends, and we'll talk about a lot of the technology trends that he's watching very closely. And he's also looked at how companies really solve problems for people and how that is so important as you start to take a look at an opportunity in a certain market, is how can you make life easier for people? Sam, welcome to the Heroes Journey Economy podcast. Hey, happy to be here. You've had a very interesting marketing background. Can you provide the listeners a little bit of your background in marketing and, and where you've worked? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm a brand management marketer. Most recently, I have been in the restaurant space with brands that a lot of a lot of your listeners will be familiar with Pizzeria Uno. I was the CMO there. I was before that the executive vice president of marketing or CMO for Darden Specialty Restaurant Group, which includes brands like the Capital Grill, Eddie V's, Seasons 52, the Yard House, and Bahama Breeze. And before getting into restaurants, I was with General Motors. And for 11 years, I was on the vehicle side of the business as a marketing executive. It was a, a general director title, executive director title for brands like Pontiac, GMC, Saturn, later the GM brand. And then I was the CMO for OnStar, which is the connected vehicle division of, or subsidiary of General Motors. And I, and I was there a total of 11 years on the vehicle side and, and four on the OnStar side. And before that, I started my career with Nabisco where I was for 11 years, and I was managing brands like Chips Ahoy, Teddy Grahams, Horace Crisps Crackers, you know, things like that. So a lot of fun stuff. So it's really spanned several different diverse industries. Yeah, absolutely. You know, everything from a start in classic consumer packaged goods with you know, blue chip company like Nabisco, and then the world's leading automotive company at General Motors, and, and within General Motors, the subsidiary OnStar basically pioneered the whole connected vehicle technology and service. And then later on, I, I got back and I married my food experience with, with working with operators, franchisees, et cetera, in the restaurant space, both with Darden and then later on with Pizzeria Uno. So it's, it's been diverse, it's been deep, and it's been fun all along the way. The theme of this is the hero's journey economy and the idea that people start to look at their lives. They are going to move some of their spending into more transformational experiences, either through uh, change, uh, some kind of optimization or creation. You know, those are, I guess, the three big areas. Like example would be optimization. I think people are trying to sleep better and more efficiently, you know, it's a third of our life. And then change, I think it's uh, health and careers. And then on the creation side, I think a lot of people are delving into how they either be more creative or have a business where they're creating things. Those are just examples of, of things where we see people uh, changing. Do you see the same trend or are you, are you, when you take a look at maybe other consumer spends out there, do you see it in some of the things that you've been a part of where you could see some of this transformational spend start to happen? Well, yeah, I mean, just let's just take transportation. You know, for example, when I was with General Motors, you see, 
you see a lot of change going on there where people get more and more concerned about the environment. So, you know, many years ago, they flirted with electric vehicles, but now they're talking very much about electric vehicles becoming the mainstream and they're talking about hydrogen fuel cells, et cetera. But they're taking it even a level beyond that. They're taking to a level that not only will you have green vehicles and transportation with hydrogen and electricity, but you may not have to drive it yourself. You can see this now with GM has a product, I think it's called Super Cruise or something like that, where the vehicle virtually drives for the most part by itself. You still have to drive it, but, but it's getting closer and closer to being a fully autonomous vehicle. And at some point, you will be able to just get into your vehicle and you will be able to have it as your, your mobile office, your workstation, maybe even your entertainment center. You'll have video screens in there. You might have total surround sound. And, and you can enjoy your time either relaxing or, or entertaining or doing work while you're being transported in your own vehicle, which will drive itself. So, so many of these technologies advance, I think, for two reasons. Number one is to enhance the quality of our life experience, to help us further um, realize all of the dreams of what we perceive or what we envision or want our lives to be and ourselves to be, number one. But number two, they save us time so that we can condense all of these things in shorter periods of time. Because no matter how much we try, Mike, there's only so much time in a given day that a human being has. And, and they, they want to maximize their utility, their gratification in that time allotted. And, and in other categories, you see people trying to extend that time by extending their life. So increasingly, we see people avoiding things that are bad for them. I mean, whereas, you know, 60, 70 years ago, it may have been pretty routine to see people smoking cigarettes all around you. These days, it's hard pressed to find people smoking cigarettes around you. They just don't do it anymore because they know it's bad for their health and will cause them a premature death. You see people wanting to eat better foods. So they're trying to eat more organic, natural foods, farm to table, close by, organic, clean. You know, these are the types of things that they're trying to do to give themselves a better quality of life while they're living and also hopefully to extend that quality of life and to extend that ultimate duration of life. You know, these are things that, that people are, are engaged in across categories. Yeah, it's interesting. You take a look at someone like uh, Jack LaLanne from the 50s, who I think at that time might have been maybe painted as kind of a health nut. But if you were to watch what he was prophesizing, it was all stuff now that are pretty much taken for granted that are basic, like don't smoke, you know, <laughs> and, and watch how much you eat and get out and exercise. I mean, it, it, he wasn't, he, he, he might have been on the fringe then, but it, it's all pretty basic stuff right now. He was considered kind of radical at the time. Yeah, he was. And I know him well because at the time when Jack Lane was just sort of, I guess, beginning and hitting his stride, I was a small child and my family, we were living in the Bronx, New York in an apartment. And my mom would turn his television program on and she would, she would follow along and do the exercise because we lived in the city. We lived in an apartment and my mom wanted to stay healthy. She wanted to stay fit. She wanted to feel good. So I remember sort of watching her 
you know, do the show and doing the exercises with Jack and Lane. And then it was all about just trying to be healthy. But now it's more. I mean, look at, look at things like Peloton today. I mean, people had extra cycles back then. But, but now these experiences, whether it be Peloton or, or through Nordic Track, you're, you're on these cycles or you're on these ellipticals or you're on these ski machines, whatever they may be. And they're trying to give you this augmented reality experience, whether it's looking at the screen and seeing different landscapes that you can cycle through. And now the, the gradient on the, on the cycle, the difficulty can change or the gradient on the, on the treadmill can change based on the environment, the geography that you're in. You can also tilt if you're making a turn this way or that way to make you feel like you're having more of a reality experience. I expect this to go even further. I expect that at some point, these, if you're on a cycle, for example, stationary, it will totally be electronically controlled beneath the effort that you're putting in and it will follow the topography. It'll go up, it'll go down, it'll go left, it'll go right. And you'll probably be wearing some sort of visor headset that totally puts you into that environment that you're in. So you can literally feel all of the sensory motions and, and the visuals. They will try to stimulate every sense that you have to create the reality that you are actually cycling up and down the Italian apps. You know, th this is what's going to come because people want to enjoy these experiences, but they can't necessarily go to all those places, but, but they can be created and they can be brought to them. We just had someone on, but it was exactly what you were talking about. It's a company called Virtuix. It's a VR device, but it's also the platform that you're on moves as you move. So you're in this, so you could actually run on this and you're virtually inside a game. So you can run, you can crouch, you can jump. All the activity you're doing on this platform, you can run backwards, side to side. It's interactive with the game and you're in it. And they're, they're obviously and they're because of what's happening with Peloton, they're at David Buster's now, but later this year, the reason he was on is we're launching a, a home device so that you, uh, you would have it at home and you're actually moving you can move very aggressively on this platform. You're in a harness from above, so you don't have to worry about running into things or falling. And it's fully immersive. And there, the extension of that is obviously army training. And to your point, you can go on a safari in Africa and those types of things where you're walking through the plains of the savanna, but you're never leaving your house. And it's, it's pretty interesting. Oh, oh, absolutely. And, and, and technology is enabling. So, and a lot of times you could see this technology begins in, in the space programs like NASA, or they or they are in the Defense Department, and then they adapt these technologies. I mean, for example, I live here in the shadow of Disney World, not too far away, and Disney, with their Imagineering group, is incredibly um, renowned and strong at trying to think about what consumers want to experience and to create those experiences. And you know, we when I was at General Motors, I oversaw the GM test track, which was like a thrill ride at, at Epcot Center. But Epcot Center also had something else called Soarin'. They probably still do. I haven't been to Epcot in a little bit, but I, I expect they still have Soarin'. And you get in at Soarin', and you get into this sort of theater. They strap you into this seat, and and then they turn out the lights. It's totally dark, and there's this huge immersive screen around you. And then all of a sudden you'll find yourself doing these things like you're hang gliding and you're soaring over an orange grove in, in central Florida. And all of a sudden you feel the breeze in your face and your hair moves and you feel the wind and the temperature. And then you smell the, the smell of orange. 
So they're literally making you feel because all of your other senses are kind of neutralized. They're creating what sensory experience your body is being exposed to and your mind is processing. And you literally feel like you're hang gliding and you're soaring over orange groves or lakes or mountains and snow. And when you go over a snow covered mountain, it gets cold and you feel cold and the wind is colder. And, and you know, you can all, it, it just, it, it tricks your mind and you feel like you've been totally transported. And they do a similar thing with a space ride where you actually go through in the control room and into the capsule and into the rocket and you feel, and you're exposed to the to G forces. Your mind is made to believe you're exposed to these G forces as if you're being launched into space. And because we can't all hang glide across the country at any time we want, and we can't all be on a rocket ship to space, people are creating these things for us. And increasingly, technology is going to enable those things to be compartmentalized and made smaller and, and be brought to you so that you can experience them whenever you want, wherever you want. It's a whole new world when it comes to that type of thing. And it's happening everywhere. I mean, let's, let's talk even fantasy sports leagues. I mean, the big thing used to be, oh, if I could just go to the game and the whole thing was, oh, the tailgate experience. Then it was, well, geez, you know, look at Buffalo Wild Wings. They tried to create the, the scenario where you're in the bar and you could be with all your friends and you're eating food and drinking beer or pop or, or soda, whatever you want to do. And all around you, you've got all the giant screen TV. So you feel like you're literally on the Fox Sports set or the CBS, you know, NFL Sunday Sports set. And you're watching all the games. Well, now it's being brought even to the next level with through fantasy sports, where you've now drafted your own teams. So now you feel like you're like the owner of the teams. So now not only are you enjoying the games, but you're competing and you're looking at players that you have, how they're doing and deals you may or may not make, et cetera. You are now living vicariously through these platforms of fantasy sports. You're like, a, you're a vicarious owner now. Yeah. It is amazing. And all of those things are enabled by knowing things about the customer, the person, whatever you want to call them, um, you knowing as much as you can about them in that relevant way to inform the decisions that you're going to make and how you're going to serve those individuals. Um, so whether we get a, a chip implanted us and it automatically senses and reads our DNA whether we provide that information and it's kept there and they instantaneously know that Mike and or Sam has walked in the restaurant. And when, you know, we, we serve them, we are aware of this stuff. It's all so possible now because of not only the ability to gather information, but also to process that information and operationalize that information. And, and, and that's what's so exciting about technology. You know, because, you know, as, as we mentioned earlier, what is it going to help us do? Technology is going to help us advance and enjoy those experiences that we want to have. And they're going to help us make the most of that finite amount of time that we have. You know, and that's what information is, is going to better enable us to do in the technologies that, that are able to exploit that information in a positive way are going to extend what we all learned in economics class 101 was going to extend that marginal utilities curve upward slope before it starts to trend down yeah you mentioned disney before you know it's amazing what they're doing with that 
I don't know if you've been there in a while, but they have a wristband that you wear now. You could pay for everything with it and you could open your room door with it. On the property, you don't have to have, carry any cash because this thing becomes your wallet. You can do almost anything. It, it's tracking you. And, and I guess it's a, a little weird that it's tracking you everywhere. But at the same time, they're learning a lot about behavior and how to enhance the service for people as they go through. So how many people are in, it's monitoring how many people are in line at different things. And and they're using that kind of metadata, not maybe individual data, but the metadata just to make the whole experience better for people as they go through the park. Yeah, absolutely. And they've been doing that for for years in various forms of of the way it tangibly presents itself and technology, you know, is making that better and less intrusive all the time. And, And guests are fine with it as long as they really understand and they feel that, hey, yeah, they, they may be tracking stuff and maybe it feels a little bit creepy if you only think of it that way, but no, it's, it's all to make your experience better. And if they see benefits of that, where it's reducing the friction of, oh, I don't have to stand in line as, as long. If I want to get something at a Disney restaurant on property or shop, it's much faster and easier for me. Why is that important to me? Well, because I don't want to stand in lines. I don't want to waste that time. I want to get on the next ride. I want to walk the park. I want to do this. I want to do that. Yeah. eliminating the friction and providing that information to a Disney to help them make that experience better for you on your terms is why people are willing to participate in those things that 50 years ago may have been seen as an invasion of privacy because people were like, yeah, but I don't see what's the upside for me. You know, it wasn't translated, but nowadays companies are getting this information and technology is enabling them in economically feasible ways and timeframes to translate that into tangibly better experiences for the people that are participating and sharing the information. Sam, I think there's a little bit of a generational thing here because I've talked to my kids, they're teenagers and, and they don't, they're not, they're not creeped out by like something like that at all. Like I've talked to them about, Hey, would you mind if you were walking down a supermarket aisle and you're walking past the ketchup and all of a sudden you get a, a coupon on your phone for the ketchup. So it's actually, it knows you're in the store and it knows you're in front of ketchup. And they're like, no, not at all. Not at all. I don't mind that at all. They go, I'd rather not go to the store, but you know, I'd rather have all this stuff delivered to me. At least the, the people that I've surveyed that are younger just don't feel, I think they feel they're, they're very happy with the trade-off. They're very happy with, to your point, if it's going to reduce the friction and make my life easier, I don't care. And if the ads that I'm looking at on, when I'm on the websites are catered to me, it's maybe a more pleasant experience than stupid ads that I don't want to see. So they've, they don't seem to be hung up on the, the creepiness of the intrusion. They just don't seem to have it. Yeah, they, they don't. And I think there's a reason for that. And a lot of it, you know, people are smart, they're intelligent, and they create their context based on their experiences. And I think that previous generations, you know, they grew up watching World War II movies. And when people were getting information on people in those movies, it was always used for some sort of nefarious intent. It was, you know, spying and it was used to hurt people. Well, the new generation, that's not what they're experiencing. They're experiencing Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and their iPhone or their Samsung phone. And they're experiencing things that that those devices and those platforms are gathering about them that are returning something to them that they value. 
whether it's a message on a product that they want, whether it's an in information on a topic that they care about, they find that that is maximizing their utility. So there's, there's a contract, there's a, there's a social contract that's being formed to say, yes, I'm willing to share certain information with you in exchange for you making my experiences better in these other areas. And when they see that happening in a tangible way, they're willing to exchange it. It's like currency. You know, I'm willing to give you this if you give me that. And what I've experienced throughout my marketing career is they get, they're real comfortable with it and where they start to get fuzzy with it and they start to get guarded. If you start trying to tap into their, their financial data, they're guarded of their financial data because it's like, oh, they're afraid someone's going to steal their money or something's going to go wrong. So they're a little bit more guarded about their financial information and they get a little bit more guarded. They get guarded about their medical information. It's like, what do you need to know that for? I don't want to share that with my doctor. I'm not sharing that with everybody because, you know, how's that going to be used? I mean, I don't want everybody in the world knowing that in, in a way that they might hurt me. So that's where they start to get a little bit more guarded. But otherwise, as long as they see the upside benefit to, to those things and to those two things before, if they can enhance their experience, you know, and, and if they can, you know, give them time or make, help them make better use of their time, they're cool. And they're willing to, to, to consummate that transaction and say, yes, I'll trade that information with you as long as you're giving me that other stuff. Yeah, there was a, a funny scene in Parks and Rec one time that show is a pretty funny show. And, and the person comes in and says, you know, one of the older gentlemen in there said, you know, I was just looking for canoes on the Internet and I just got an ad for a canoe they're like, oh yeah, they're kind of monitoring that. And that's how it works. Like they're kind of seeing that you've done that and that's how you get the ad. And he picked up the computer and threw it in the trash, <laughs> you know, but he was an older guy going, okay, this isn't, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not into that bargain, you know, but other people like, and it was kind of funny because, you know, he was like, oh, I didn't know that was the way it worked. And now I'm throwing it out, but you know, I'm okay with it. I think you're okay with it for the most part. And, and, Younger people seem much more okay with it. As long as the idea of a computer recommending something is very commonplace to a younger generation as far as Spotify music, like you might like this music or you might like this book on Amazon or people have bought this gift have also looked at this. I mean, that's, that's something I think they've actually grown up with. So it's, it's not as, uh, they don't think that's creepy at all. Well, not only have they grown up with it, but they've grown up with it in a positive way. So, for example, today, if you talk to young people and you talk to them about AI, they're all for AI. Like, yeah, sure, that's going to be great, AI. That's fantastic. I can't wait until that is all over my house, every, all these touch points. But, you know, previous generation, how were they introduced to AI? They were introduced it in, like, uh, 2001 Space Odyssey and how it was taken over, you know? And, and it wasn't in a good way. So people were... People were conditioned, people were socialized, you know, to think that this is, this is nefarious, this is going to be evil, this is going to take your freedom away, versus now the new generation is seeing these things as enablers to their personal freedom and enablers to them, you know, enhancing their, their life's journey, their experiences, maximizing the use of their time, etc. So they see them as adding value to their life versus restricting it. I think you're right about the early versions of technology that we were exposed to was in a futuristic way, whether it was Westworld or 2001 Space Odyssey. And it was always the technology was cool. And then it turned on you. <laughs> you know, that was exactly you know, you know, and, it, it, it always ended up being a threat, you know, and even today, you know, look, we're in the midst of we just had a presidential election. So, you know, the season is right. 
But think about it. I mean, if you were to talk to young kids um, 40, 50 years ago and talk to them about socialism in America, they were completely anti. Why? Because there was, oh, the communists, the Soviet Union, the red China, everything. We're fighting wars to stop socialism, to stop communism. It must halt. It's fascism. Well, this is the way they're socialized. Well, the younger kids today, I mean, these millennial generation, I think I saw a survey that like 60% of them that were um, said that, hey, I'm, I'm pretty positive on socialism. They don't see it as a threat. It's not being portrayed to them as a threat. So they think their context is different. You know, so much of it, as I said earlier, you know, people are, people get socialized. People are learners. They're adapters. You know, they create their contexts, you know, and, and, and they get afraid of things. And if that's all they're exposed to, if they don't become familiar with it and have a different experience, well, that's their context. You know, th that's why when they experience something, as the new generation is experiencing technology as being ubiquitously pervasive in their life, they're like, hey, I'm familiar with this. And this isn't scary. This isn't threatening me. It's not going to you know, steal my, my, my identity, my kids or whatever, or my wealth or, or make my life terrible. So they're like, yeah, it's cool. You know, as long as, as long as I don't see it cross the line, I'm okay with it. Then maybe if it starts crossing the line, then maybe we'll rethink it. It does seem to be a big enabler for a lot of people now. Just I take a look at uh, kids these days <laughs> thing, but you know, I, I've gone out of my way to show them how to look at a map, like a real tangible paper map and say, hey, you know, this is what we used to have to do is someone used to have to be in the car <laughs> and read this map <laughs> and the other person would drive. And that's how it worked. Growing up with phone, being able to direct you anywhere, uh, having a paper map looks like something like, I get the looks like it's something out of like the 1800s. If you're a teenager now, there's never been almost a, a time where you didn't have an iPhone. Like when they became teenagers, the iPhone had been out for five or six years. So it's hard to imagine some of that old ways of doing things. And you're right. It, I think they look at their phone as almost a friend, not a, not a threat. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, and, and they've, they've grown up in a totally digital world. I mean, I have a, my youngest son, um, he's a junior in college now. When he was younger, you know, I'm going to say maybe oh, 10 plus years ago, 15 years ago, I remember saying something like, well, you know, when I was younger, we listened to like a record album. He goes, well, what's a record album? I go, well, it's a thing that has like, you know, um, maybe 10 songs or something on it. And he goes, well, what are you talking about 10 songs? He goes, at the time he had like his little um, iPod or whatever it was, the music thing yeah. that was, that, that now it's their phone, right? And he's like, well, dad, you have your iPod. You get all the music you want. It's right, what are you talking about? 10 songs on it, what does that look like? So I went and I got him. I went in the closet, I, I pulled out an old vinyl LP, looked at it, put it on the turntable, which I still had as part of this stereo system that we had in the house. And it plays, started playing music and he looks at me and he looks at it, he goes, that is the dumbest, stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> really, really, that's his reaction, yeah. See, I've never seen one before. And he's like, well, I don't get it. Why do you need that turntable thing? And why do you need that big black round disc to play 10 songs? I have this iPod thing. I got like a million songs on it. <laughs> I, I was on the phone with my mom one time and my kids were listening to the conversation and we'd been on for a while. And she goes, well, you know what? Let me, well, we should wrap this up. This, this call is probably costing you a fortune. And I said, well, it's not, but okay, but we'll let, we'll let you go. And my kids were like, what does she mean by that? What does she mean that the call costs fortune? I go, it would have been a very expensive call back in, in when she was my age 
And when she was your age, it was a really expensive, like it was not something you would do. It was like, you know, people on limited incomes were looking at the clock because you got charged for each long distance phone call you made. And they were like looking at me like I was, they're like, how much would it cost? I go, well, you know, a long, you know, long distance call for a long time would be like $3, $4, but that, you know, the equivalent now would be maybe $10, $12. And they were like, no, they were just looking at me like I was insane that, you know, something that they just consider free would actually cost that much money. They were like, to your son's point, it was like, that makes no sense at all. Why, why was it like that? <laughs> oh, yeah. They totally look at those things as stupid. And then, then I said to him, I said, hey, I'm going to show you something else. You're going to love this. And I pulled out of the closet, dusted it off out of this case. It was the portable typewriter that, like, I used in college that I still had. I, I don't even think it worked. I pulled it out of the closet. He looked at it. He goes, what is that thing? I said, it's called the typewriter. He goes, well, what does it do? I go, well, you put paper in it and you type on it. And he goes, what is that, that? That's called a computer and a printer. <laughs> you, know, they, they, it, you know, things just, they become so obsolete. And even like what you just said, Mike, you said a long distance call. If you were to grab a kid today and say, hey, have you ever made a long distance call? Like, what do you mean a long distance call? Like even the phraseology would be foreign to them. Nobody says that. Yeah, Who says yeah. long distance call? You would think it's, you're, you would be calling the space station or, you're, or you know, like you're right. Yeah. It, has, it has no reference. Yeah, it's like, what's a, what's a long distance call? But back in our day, it'd be like, oh, yeah, there was a local call. There was a toll call and a long distance call. You know, there was like different classes of calls. The kids yeah. say, like, what are you talking about? And like, well, if you had to, if, if there's all different calls, why didn't you just text them? Like, what do you mean just text them? There was no text. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, it is interesting how fast we've adopted uh technology into our world and, and how it's pretty seamless. I mean, but human be- that's how human beings are. I mean, human beings are learners. That's why human beings are still exist on the planet. I mean, you know, the species still exists because it, it learns and it adapts. <laughs> right. If we didn't, if we didn't fear that rustling in the, in the brush, we wouldn't be here right now, right? We we learned uh, we learned quickly that, that the cougar could eat us. And, uh, exactly right. It's like, well, why are little children like why why do they have fears? Well, it, it, it's kind of instinct, or they, they would have been eaten. We would have yeah. never gotten here. Because <laughs> our our ancestors were paranoid, but it kept us alive. Yeah, yeah exactly. it, it did. It did. What what do you look forward to out there? Is there are, are there trends in technology or uh, things that you're well, one, either encouraged by or things maybe that you're maybe a little concerned about? Well, you know, I, I, I'm encouraged about all technology. Um, I, I think that without technology, it's hard for things to advance. You know, so I always embrace the new. Even, and I'm, I love cars. I'm a car guy, you know. So that's why I, when I had the opportunity to work for General Motors, I went. But I always kind of love the newest version of something. I appreciate you know, the oldest version, the old things too. But I also am so excited about like the new thing and what the new thing can do. You know, so, so I'm always embracing new technology and excited by it. I do think though that you do have to be careful that you don't let technology go down the nefarious route like, like Hal, you know, in the movie and where it takes over. You don't want it to take over your freedom. You don't want it to do those sorts of things. You don't want it to use information against you. You want it to be liberating, you know, and and that's when technology is your friend instead of being used in a bad way. And I'll give you an example of how, what, what makes me afraid of certain technologies. And we talked about it earlier in a positive use of, well, what if you had a chip in your body 
and it told you everything about that person, all their, their allergies, their vital statistics, their DNA, their, their dispositions, their propensities, whatever it may be. That could all be used in a great way to either provide you medical care, to give you the right food at a restaurant, to do whatever, okay? But in the wrong hands, it could also be used in a way that could, that could, that could infringe on your liberty. So for example, what if, you know, what if Jane comes in um, for a job interview and now we scan her in her DNA and all of a sudden we learn, oh, well, Jane has a propensity for this or that or the other thing and we're not gonna hire her because she has this, this in her genetic genome, in her code, it says that she's gonna get sick more than somebody else or she's gonna get cancer, God forbid, you know, and she's gonna die and that's gonna cost us productivity, it's gonna cost us money. So we're, we're gonna discriminate against her based on that. And, and to me, that, that doesn't seem right. You know, that, that seems like, look, let's use technology to advance things, not to be big brother in a way that limits our freedoms, that limits our liberty. That is not our value system. We want to enable technology to serve us as human beings to help us advance our freedom, to advance our liberty, to advance that pursuit of our happiness to, 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 make our, to make us accessible to new experiences and to experience them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We don't want it to be used for other things, but there will be powerful interests that can find uses for things to, liber to limit people that maybe they could profit by or that they could use to, to advance their own goals at the expense of someone else. My, my point of view is let's use the technology to be liberating, to be win-win. And when it starts to cross that ugly how line, let's not let that happen. That's not consistent with our value system and our culture. And if you start to threaten your value system and your culture, ultimately, it will prevent you from pursuing and enabling technologies that can do the opposite and be positive. I agree with you. I think for the most part, it's been okay so far, right? I take a look at, I know Apple's been, uh, they've had to push, you know, they've gotten the phone of someone who's, like a bad dude, you know, the, the police have gotten the, uh, or the authorities and they've gone to Apple and said, you know, we got to unlock the phone and they're, and Apple's like, yeah, I don't, you're going to have to figure that out on your own. <laughs> and, 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 you know, Apple kind of is caught in this thing and people are like, well, these are bad dudes. You should just, and I think they're saying, no, if we do it a couple times, it's going to be a lot of time soon. And then what, what phone aren't we unlocking then? And it gets tricky there. It does. And that's why you have to be careful because you, you know, you don't want, you, you don't want technologies to, to violate, you know, what we would describe as Americans as part of our culture, as our inalienable rights, you know, yeah. and, and rights that we treasure. So you have to be careful about that because, you know, information can be used in good ways and it can be used in bad ways. You know, so, and technology, you know, processes that information and, and enables other things. So I think that that's what you always have to be guarded about. And there's, there's going to be constituencies that can profit or benefit from things that maybe aren't really consistent with what we would all like. I mean, you know, that's, yeah. you know, taking one person's rights away or, or trampling on them in order to advance someone else's interests is not a good thing. You know, and there's, there's a lot of extremely... Um, morally reprehensible examples throughout histories in all societies that we should not forget. The only thing I have an issue with technology, and it's, it's not technology itself, but um, technology has the ability to make us all very comfortable. 
ex like almost extremely comfortable. Go from your air-conditioned car to your air-conditioned house. You you turn on Netflix. You know, you take a look at Netflix, and that's not some that's a technology that kings. 10 years ago did not have the ability to do just summon a movie, you know, like the president of the United States could order a movie, but he'd probably have to tell someone I'd like to see, you know, uh, Shawshank Redemption next Thursday and they would schedule it for him at the white house. But it's not like he had the ability to just pull it up and watch it at a whim. And it's so, um, we're extremely comfortable now and things. And I just, I get concerned that we're going to be separated from the natural world a little, uh, I don't see as many kids riding bikes on my street as, as maybe I'd like, you know, or, or, or even play, you know, we used to play in the street. You can't do that now. Just getting outside and maybe walking in grass with bare feet. Me, I just don't get out there as much. And it's something I'm, I'm trying to get out there to, because the, I think it can separate us from the natural world. And uh, I, I get a little concerned about that, that uh, we no, I lose sight of that. I, I think your concern is, is valid and legitimate there. And, and I, I think that you know people have to guard against that because it can technology can technology can be a replacement for that sensory experience of the natural world. Technology can also get in the way of human contact and human relationships and human interaction. Um, I mean, let's face it. I mean, the kids today they are not out playing physically as much as they were a generation or two ago because they're doing other things that like video games or online and social platforms, et cetera, that are stimulating to them and are entertaining to them and pleasant to them. And it's stealing playtime outside. And, and that ha is having a negative effect on another dimension of their life, which in a lot of cases is their physical health. I mean, they're, 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 they're more overweight instances today, you know, et cetera. And, and that's not necessarily a good thing. So, so you have to think about those things. I mean, I remember reading a study not too long ago in Japan where um, they have a, a, their population is aging and, and it's not really growing, it's shrinking in fact. And that could become a crisis for, for a nation, for a society. And their fertility rate, because they're not having babies is low and, and they're not getting married or, or, or cohabitating, whatever, whatever you wanna call the relationship between a man and a woman or whatever, or, or man and a man, a woman and a woman. They're just not, they're not engaging in it as much. And, and I heard an interview and the, they interviewed these women and these women were saying, yeah, well, the men, they, they're not interested in us. And it probably goes the other way too, because they're, they're playing video games and they're doing other things. You know, and, and, and that may not be a good thing either. So, and I think at one point, even one of the founders of Facebook or somebody had said, look, I, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of dismayed at what's happened. We created a social platform because we wanted to increase our own social interaction with people. Yeah. And what we're finding is that it's kind of redefining social terms and it's making people less social. <laughs> they think they're more social, but they're actually less social. And he was concerned about that. Recently we lost power here and it was, it was interesting. We were playing cards and we were doing a lot of things that maybe uh, two, it was something maybe two generations ago did. We were outside because it was hot. So we went outside because it was cooler. I don't know if, I didn't grow up with air conditioning. So when my mom was cooking in the afternoon for dinner, like we were all outside because the house was way too hot to be in. And that's like a foreign idea to anybody now that, 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 that you'd actually go outside to cool off, you know, in a, on a hot summer day. It's just the opposite. You're, you're going inside. So it's. Uh, oh yeah. If you were, if you were to tell a young kid today, like, oh yeah, we didn't have air conditioning. They'd be like, well, wh what'd you do? How long were you in for? Were you in prison? <laughs> you know? Everyone has air conditioning today. It's such a different thing. I was like, no, I was, I used to be in school sitting in New Jersey 
you know, in the late, at the back half of the year, if we got a heat wave, we were dying in those classrooms. And my kids are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, and you got to figure if we're looking at that, does comfort just get exponentially more comfortable for your, our kids and their kids? Are they going to look at, are they going to be talking to their kids like they had it rough or something? A technology that's not even present in our lives. They're like, hey, we never had that. <laughs> so it, it'll be interesting just how it's going to get more comfortable and more easier in a lot of ways. And it'll, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how future generations adapt to that. Well, yeah, let's hope so. Because, because what we're talking about is innovation, right? Because yeah. hopefully those, those innovations are what also creates opportunities. You know, it, it also creates challenges, but you know, nothing, nothing ever stays the same. You know, I mean, things are always changing. And that's not a bad thing, you know? Things have to change and things have to progress. And typically they do change for the better because people want to have a better experience. So the things that take root are the things that typically make things better versus making things worse. Yeah. <laughs> people don't typically jump on board en masse with something that's gonna make their life's experience worse. No. You know, if, if Facebook was a thing that said, all right, instead of us, giving you act, putting, you know, letting you share your photos and engaging with people online. And you, we're, instead of doing that, we're gonna confiscate all your snapshots and, and we're gonna get rid of all cameras and you're not gonna be able to share any images of anything. I don't think that idea is catching on. <laughs> no, no. Sam, this has been really interesting. You're always thinking in, in this marketing realm and, and it's, I think you're a natural at it, obviously, based on your career. It's, it's, you could definitely tell by listening to you that you're, it's your calling. You're watching what's going on and you have a keen sense of how to market different products and, and services. So I know you're a busy person and I really appreciate you taking time. And I think people, our, our listeners are really going to benefit from, uh, from this conversation. Well, I hope so. You know, I hope that, you know, I always like to just try to always be thinking, be curious, be thinking. And I've always thought of, of a marketer as a marketer, how you, how you create value is you make things better for the people that you're serving in the work that you do every day. And yeah, you make money for the company or, or the enterprise, whatever it is, but, but that's, really, that, that's really an expression of your customer that they value what you're doing. And when they give you that money, it enables you to keep doing it. Yeah, but that's what it's all about. You're trying, it's always making things better. And you know what? I think that most individuals, if not all, no matter what line of work they're in, they get up every day and they wanna make things better. There's a lot of market opportunity with that lens. Take a look at Steve Jobs and, you know, he saw things that people just didn't see. Almost every person can do that. Make, make the world better or make, or uh, either from a altruistic standpoint or from a, a money-making standpoint, you're right. If, if you have that lens, you're going to do okay. Yep. Sam, thanks for being part of the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Great to talk to you and we'll catch up again soon. Yep. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.